0: everyone welcome back to the podcast so i recently came across a very compelling looking book through bookstagram its colorful cover caught my attention it's got a white and pink cover with two figures on it with their bags turned to us this episode's book is personal attention Roleplay by helen chow bradley as it turned out metonymy press was giving away advanced readers copies and they sent me one i have the immense pleasure to read this book in advance of that and to review it on the podcast personal attention roleplay is the first work of fiction by author helen chow bradley bradley is a writer musician and former bookseller living in Teotake, montreal they have compiled an electrifying funny and uncanny set of short stories that touch on queer loneliness mixed race confusion late capitalist despondency and the pitfalls of intimacy every story is set in the present time following everyday rituals common youtube click holes and the general despondency of our late stage capitalist lifestyles Ultimate i thoroughly enjoyed this book. i love the characters, their voices, their issues, and their ways of navigating the world. each story was very different, and the collection begins with a 10 year old who does gymnastics and has a crush on an older gymnastics girl. her voice is fresh, and the stream of consciousness style at the end of the short story feels incredibly relatable. i'm going to read a bit of it just because i really love that part on page 14 sadness welled up in me for her and for me and for larissa for danielle alexis tiffany and coach allison and coach paula i suddenly felt incredibly old as if my body were already leaving this earth as if i were already dissolving into a spray of molecules and i thought about how enormous life was and how enormous also the space between people could be how rare it was that someone might get close enough for you to feel the electric shock of them running up your arms and legs and as time raced backwards and forwards and the old penance that ringed the ceiling rose and fell on a strange wind something came billowing out of my chest and i started to laugh too loud and too long and through my cackles i said no i have no idea i have no idea how to do an illusion what i find so interesting about this passage is that it's supposed to be the voice of a 10 year old girl and yet the stream of consciousness here makes us feel the incredible depth of what a crush can be and can feel like. the main character is at one point rolled up into a gymnastics mat with her crush and she describes the electricity and butterflies that she feels as that happens. those moments are special because they feel infinite and like something out of a dream. it's so difficult to convey the feelings and emotions of what crushes can make us feel like, especially in the innocence of a 10 year old. and yet, bradley was able to conjure up the electricity and feelings of such a moment perfectly. I especially love the words as time raced backwards and forwards as if to capture this moment and this time in the character's life as a tiny infinite moment. There are so many beautifully sprinkled passages such as these, and I'd like to share another one of them. In the same short story as a previous passage titled Maverick about a young gymnast crushing on an older gymnast. On page 12, it goes, God, Anna, she shot back, getting my name wrong on purpose. Who cares about you? It's like you're in lesbian love with her or something. You weren't even friends. I froze, while giggling filled the air, and then quickly pulled on my leotard and walked out of the gym, burning. This passage reminds me of when I was younger and I had girl crushes. I thought everybody had crushes on girls but as it turns out, I was just a baby lesbian without knowing it. I especially love that one of the girls is accusing the main character of being in lesbian love with the other girl. It's this accusation and the fear of being found out of being a lesbian and being scared of how people will react. I love this passage and the specific experience that I can relate to. In the second short story with the same title as the book, personal attention roleplay, the main character forgets to throw out her trash and maggots build up. Following a weird breakup from their roommate, the main character falls into a depressive state they don't shower in a while, they fall into the trap that are youtube click holes, and they don't take out the trash in two weeks. page 28. inside, the maggots are seething. their tiny, wet bodies writhe in a heaving, growing mass. although your throat clenches in revulsion, you find yourself kneeling beside the bubbling container, peering closer, breath held. their gelatinous movement, the sheer quantity of them, their simultaneous multiplicity and harmony. you are mesmerized by them by it. i love these grotesque descriptions and the entire scenario of forgetting or even of purposefully forgetting to throw out the trash in the summer, which results in maggots. it's an obvious parallel of the way that the main character feels on the inside, after dealing with a sort of breakup from their roommate. the visceral disgust that the main character gets from looking at and dealing with the maggots is similar to the way that one might feel when in a depressive state and something that you're confronted with, that you don't want, and something that creeps up on you if you're not carefully aware. I love this image, and that Bradley included this in the story. Of all the possible disgusting images that they could have described, Bradley chose this one, and I feel like it really stands out in the story. Moving on from favorite passages, I enjoyed the contemporary aspect of the short stories. In the fourth short story, titled Only the Lonely, the main character's partner is a non-binary anarchist, which I thought was kind of funny because my partner Sean is also a non-binary anarchist. I really don't know that many anarchist people, so to see an anarchist non-binary character in a book was very refreshing and very cool. However, V, the main character's partner, is kind of a jerk in the way that they treat the main character. In a scene, V urges the main character to go to an anti-capitalist protest, and the main character is hesitant, explaining that the last time that they went to a protest, they were tear-gassed pretty badly and had a panic attack. On page 52, 53, V says, Babe, that sucks. But now I'll be there to look after you. And besides, part of being a real anarchist is accepting that disruptive action is uncomfortable. That's just part of putting our bodies on the line. Panic attack isn't going going to actually kill you then the main character thinks v has never had a panic attack me i'm not sure i'm a real anarchist reading this story and this passage was so funny to me because my partner is non-binary anarchist they have never been pushy about me going to protest or anything but they certainly taught me a lot about anti-capitalism and anarchism they're also neurotypical so they've never had a panic attack or have dealt with constant crippling anxiety sean presents themselves as an anarchist and they're fully versed in anarchism Myself, on the other hand, much like the main character, I don't know if I'm a real anarchist either. Moving on, out of the 10 short stories, Finisterre was my favorite. It's the story of two cousins who go on a pilgrimage on the Camino Finisterre in Spain. Jules' parents paid for both Jules and Lauren to go on this pilgrimage because, according to Lauren, it would make Jules less gay to be surrounded by Catholic churches and images. Jules is more curious about people than Lauren is, and both characters really clash. This story was funny, it was an eye-opener, and ultimately, it was heartwarming. The reason why i chose this story as my favorite because it is the one that i felt that i could relate to the most out of all the other stories. identity is a topic that interests me a lot and it's something that i pay close attention to for myself. while reading this story, i realized how scarily close i used to be like lauren, like the type of person that would make sure their makeup is done while camping and who would rather look fashionable rather than wear comfortable hiking shoes. i don't like that i used to be that way because i used to be very uncomfortable. i was always under the pressure to perform femininity, but i wasn't myself. i didn't allow myself to even dress like i one or two out of fear of judgment and of what my family would say. there's a passage that really stood out to me and i basically highlighted this entire story but the one passage that stood out the most the first time that i read it is this one on page 100. instead, i've been manipulated into accompanying my granola cousin on this trip of penance planned out by her alarmed parents, my auntie linda and uncle pat, who threw several fits because she came out to them as queer in the spring. of all the dumbass moves, i couldn't keep oppressing myself any longer she had written to me in an email that i'd read with embarrassment. when had i ever given her my hotmail? i had to reveal my true self. who needs to reveal their true self to their parents? i mean seriously. and why brag about it? why not do what i do? conceal everything, slip your parents a steady diet of lies and obfuscation, and reap the double reward of being a good daughter and doing whatever the hell you want. I love both voices in this passage, the one of Lauren narrating and that of Jules in the background. Lauren clearly doesn't care to be her authentic self, as she'd rather perform the role of the perfect daughter towards her parents and to live her party lifestyle in secret. There's also the difficulty of coming out to strict parents and having to deal with their reaction. In this case, Jules' parents sent her on a penance trip, which both girls end up enjoying jules needs to be herself her full authentic self as she says she doesn't want to oppress herself any longer i relate to this very much because i tried very hard to be a good daughter to perform that role and i was never my fully authentic self even then there's the whole journey of finding out what your authentic self even is and what it even means there are a million and one things that make up our identities and ourselves moving on there's a passage on the next page where lauren is describing jules and it goes like this on page 101 Linda and Pat are delusional if they think that this trip is going to turn Jewel straight, as if God or St. James could have any effect on how obviously homosexual she is. Again, I'm not even making judgments. It's just an obvious fact. She's so conspicuous, blunt always asking questions in her loud voice, stomping around campus in her giant boots with, like, five political banners under each arm, surrounded by a pack of other weird-looking people. It's clear that Lauren's descriptions of Jules are judgmental and negative, with the adjectives such as loud voice and stomping around being used. I think it's funny how Lauren describes Jules as a social justice warrior with big boots and a loud voice, part of a pack of other weird-looking people. Jules is so clearly outside of Lauren's world that Lauren can't help but have disdain over Jules and people similar to her. Some Something worth mentioning is how Lauren claims she isn't judgmental and is totally in support of gay rights, and yet she's always making these comments that go against her support of gay rights. For example, Lauren's best friend Alexandra, who texts each other all the time, and which Lauren follows Alexandra around and admires her glossy blonde hair, wants to know if Alexandra would find her hot, but to quote Lauren, I couldn't figure out how to do it without sounding like a creepy lesbo. Lauren might be dealing with internalized homophobia, as her feelings about Alexandra are kind of romantic. There's another passage further along in the story where Lauren talks about Jules and says, She is so self-contained, curled up there on her pilgrim's cot, totally absorbed. Even her socks draped over her backpack to dry from the day's rain seems smug. I think Lauren is definitely jealous of Jules, of her open queerness, and of Jules being able to be herself. Lauren hides behind a performance by acting like a good daughter and by holding herself back from Alexandra so as not to sound like a quote-unquote creepy lesbo. As the story progresses and Lauren falls out with this creepy older man named Jorge hitting on her, she allows herself to be more vulnerable, to rant in front of Jules, and to be at least a little bit interested in the people staying with them. Throughout the trip, Lauren was shut off from everyone else, thinking herself to be far better than others. She didn't care to socialize, but rather, she'd want to go to a bar and drink alone, and be seen by at least one cute guy. Later, Lauren finds herself learning how to cook seafood paella with jewels, presenting it to the fellow people at the alberg, at the alberg, and even enjoying something out of Anna's poetry book. There's a wonderful passage at the end of the story, on page 126 and it goes like this, maybe i am lonely, after all, or maybe i'm about to be, but it doesn't bother me so much. the blisters and the bleeding toes of pilgrim life have worn me down. the whole thing with jorge too, even though that is starting to recede, i think. Just a thing that happened on the Camino, just like eating octopus for the first time or walking 40 kilometers in a single day in the pouring rain with plastic bags tucked into your boots and pounding menstrual cramps. You spend years not doing a thing and then suddenly you've done it and while it may not be a big deal, you now know that you're the kind of person who totally could do something major, surprising and unpredictable in the future. Just wait and see. The Lauren from the beginning of the story is no longer. Now, a Lauren exists who has tenderness and love in her heart for everyone that she walks on the Camino with. She no longer feels the need to make fun of people with hiking pants that are unzipped into shorts or people with bad hat hair. She is even a bit sad that the walk is over. Bradley has done an incredible job at writing character growth. I loved reading Lauren's voice and her personality and seeing her expand beyond her business major and partying persona. Lauren's voice towards the end of the story has a certain depth to it where she acknowledges the amazing feat that she has done of walking the camino of staying at the Albergs with jules and even of bonding and liking her cousin i completely understand where she's coming from and all i can say is that i very much admire lauren and her growth jules as a character i also adored her earnestness her kindness and her blunt questions both are lovable characters that bradley has come up with and the ending is also very satisfying to read This was, by far, my favorite story out of all of them, again, because of the lovable and funny characters, and because of how much I was able to relate to them. All of the stories were fun to read, and some dealt with more serious themes like the last story titled Soft Shoulder. But every story had a contemporary vibe to it. It had young voices that resonated so much with me and I'm sure with other readers, but every story had a contemporary vibe to it, young voices that resonated so much with me, and I'm sure other readers of this short story collection. Bradley's voice is fresh, funny, and witty. I also want to mention that I was in a reading slump for very long, and reading a short story collection as enjoyable as this one helped me get out of that reading slump. Overall, I am incredibly grateful that I was able to contact Helen and for them to put me in contact with Metonymy Press so that I could have an advanced reader's copy of their book. I'd like to thank you all for listening, and I hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if ever you want to share your thoughts, comments, opinions, and criticisms on any of the books that have been covered on this podcast, feel free to reach me at reading.unreading at gmail.com or on Instagram at unreadingpodcast. Bye!